The scripture reading for today is Revelation 6, verses 9 to 11. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on earth. Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers and sisters should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had. It's my pleasure this morning to introduce the Bocek family, uh, Darlene and Vikrit, and their children, Anya, Ella, Selene, and Han. They have been our cross-cultural partners in Turkey for almost 20 years. In that time, they have planted their standing so we can all welcome them. Good morning. In that time, they have planted and pastored a growing church. Um, They have so many interesting stories to tell, so I encourage you to talk with them after the service. Um, Stories include everything from brothels to bomb scares to cruise ships to Andrew Bronson. So lots of stories to share. Please connect with them after the service. They have a table set up in the back. But please welcome Bickrit, he'll bring us our message this morning. Family of God, I bring you greetings from the family of God in Smyrna, in Izmir. Smyrna, uh, in the Bible, is known as the persecuted church. Out of the seven churches, two churches were not reprimanded in the book of Revelation, and Smyrna is one of them, Smyrna and Philadelphia. Um, and, I, and there are still brothers and sisters in all of those seven churches. Well, I'll take that back. There was one brother in the city of Philadelphia in Turkey. Uh, he went to be with the Lord last October. Pray for these churches. Our goal is to relight those lampstands and plant churches in every single one of them. Today, I wanted to share with you... Um, uh, the the uh, passage we just read from Revelation 6, 9 to 11. Um, I preached this same passage in Turkish, and I thought it would be fitting to share it here with you. So I actually translated this from Turkish uh, into your language. Um 
And I always start saying, Congregation of the Lord in Smyrna. And you are the same congregation, Congregation of the Lord in Dallas, in Texas. What did you expect? What did you expect from Christianity? Did you think Christianity would be a cakewalk? Did you uh, think this vile world would be a friend to grace? Did you think this world would help you on to God? What did you expect? A health and wealth gospel? A name and claim it promise? A power of positive thinking outlook on life? A feel-good religion? A religion that gives you warm and fuzzy feelings? Um, A religion that consists of a little more than everyone joining hands and singing Kumbaya? I wrote uh, the Mediterranean Nights in Turkish. We have this beautiful song. Just ask me if you want to listen to it. You can go to YouTube and listen to it. It's How Beautiful Are the Mediterranean Nights? And... Um, is this what you expected? Did you, uh, and what did you expect? Um, that you would be raptured and not even feel any persecution, any suffering? A golden age maybe, a, a sparing you from any form of suffering? What did you expect of this Christian life? Revelation 6 9 to 11 sets before you a most sobering and a realistic picture as it answers that question. Do you want to know what you can expect from the Christian life? Then read Revelation 6, 9 to 11. That is what you should expect from the, from Christian life. As we make our, um, as we read, the book of Revelation, and make our way through the book of Revelation, we find that imagery that we see, that we read about, intensifies in every chapter. Uh, And and, um, the images become more and more horrific, the scenes more terrifying, and the issues more pressing. And we have come to expect that. And we see it here, uh, in this passage, once again, if you thought the opening uh, of the first four seals was disturbing, wait till you see what, what the fifth seal shows you. If you thought the riding forth of the four ho- uh, horsemen of apocalypse was unsettling, wait till you see the unveiling of the fifth seal in Revelation. In verse 9, it says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. So the fifth seal is opened, and we see souls. The souls are not in possession of their bodies. Their bodies are in the ground, returning to the dust from which they came. We see only souls. These are are those souls who have died. John tells us as much. I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain, he says. Not only are these the souls of those who have died, 
These are the souls of those who have been killed. These are the souls of those who have been, uh, who have died a violent death. The souls of those who have been uh, stoned, who have been beheaded, who have been hanged. These are the souls of those who have been cut in half. The souls of those who have been burned as lamps to illuminate the arena. The souls of those who have been thrown to the lions. The souls of those who have been accounted as sheep for slaughter. These are the souls of those who had been slain. For what reason have they been slain? And we read, says, for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. Make no mistake here. These are the martyrs. Those who have died for the faith. Those who have died for the word of God. Those who have died for the testimony which they held. Uh, those who have died because they refused to recant. Because they refused to renounce. Those who, um, uh, those who held to the word of God, though it cost them their life. Those who held to the testimony and sealed it with their blood. These are the souls of the martyrs. These are the souls of all those who have died for the faith from the time of Christ's ascension to this very day. One of those souls is the soul of Stephen, the first martyr. The soul, the souls of apostles are there as well. History holds that Peter, Apostle Peter was crucified head down. Uh, James was beheaded in Jerusalem. Andrew was crucified on an X-shaped cross. Nathaniel was beheaded. Matthew was killed with a sword. Thomas was, was run through with a lance. The other James was thrown from a tower, stoned, and then sawn in pieces. Judas, not Judas Iscariot, um, he was shot, uh, he was shot to death with arrows. Paul was most likely beheaded. These are the traditions of history. Though we cannot prove these accounts, they are by all means uh, likely and probable. The souls of the apostles are there. The soul of Polycarp, of Smyrna, of Izmir, where, where I'm pastoring now. The soul of Polycarp, who died a martyr at the age of 86, is there. Well, we think he died at the age of 86, but he said, for 86 years, Christ did not deny me, and I will not deny him now. So maybe he was a believer for 86 years. Maybe he was even older. We don't know. He was brought into the arena and commanded to say of the Christians, away with the atheists. He replied by waving his hands toward the spectators in the arena, saying, away with the atheists. When he was threatened with wild beasts, he said, bring them on. When he was threatened with fire, he said, you threaten me with fire, the pains of which last for an hour, but the pains of eternal life, eternal fire await you. And he was burned at the stake. He did not recant. 
The soul of Polycarp is there. The soul of Blandina is there. The, she was tortured with every torture uh, known to man, and, and she still would not recant. She was burned upon, an, upon a hot iron chair, and she would not recant. She was suspended from a stake as food for, for the wild beasts, and she would not recant. And the beasts did not touch her. She was finally placed in a net and thrown to a wild bull, which finally killed her. She did not recant. The soul of Blandina is there. The soul of John Huss is there. The soul of William Tyndale is there. The soul of Guido de Bress, the author of the Belgique Confession, is there as well. The soul of the martyrs are there. And don't fool yourself, such martyrdom continues even to this day. In fact, uh, the 20th century um, and this century was a century of persecution in which more Christians died for their faith than in previous 19 centuries combined. In 1915... Turkish authorities killed over one and a half million Armenians, and and most of them Christians. The souls of those martyrs are there. Lenin said, there can be nothing more abominable than religion. And he ordered the persecution of the Russian Orthodox Church. Stalin extended that persecution to all believers. The souls of those martyrs are there. In 1956, the Alka Indians of Ecuador killed Jim Elliott, Pete Fleming, Ed McCauley, Roger Yonderian, and Nate Saint. The souls of those martyrs are there as well. And what of the 10,000 Cambodian Christians slain in 1975? The souls of those martyrs are there. What of the Christians slain in China? Slain in Iran, slain in Indonesia, slain in Malaysia. The souls of those martyrs are there. Such martyrdom continues to this present day. Our dear friend, Najati Aydin, a Turkish pastor who went to plant a church in eastern Turkey in a city called Malatya, and uh, an intense work there uh, for six or seven years, and six Muslims converted to Christ, came to know Christ. Um, I used to call him and, and, and tell him that he has a mega church now. It was, you know, in a, in a city of one million, in a region of one million. If you have six believers and there are no other Christians, your church is a mega church. You, you can call it whatever you want to call. It was a mega church. It was a growing church. And in the Easter of 2007, five young men came and showed a lot of interest. They went, they they were invited to a Bible study. And during this Bible study, these men had other intentions. They came with knives and guns. and, And they killed three pastors, three church planters. One of them, uh, my friend Najati, and the other one, uh, the pastor he was training, and the other one was a German missionary, Tilman Geske. 
They were brutally murdered. Their throats were cut. And they did not recant. And their souls, their soul, um, is under the altar as well. And where does John see these souls of the martyrs? He sees them under the altar. This is not the altar of incense that stood in the holy place just before the curtains of the Holy of Holies. This is the altar of sacrifice. That altar that stood in the outer court. That altar upon which the animals were sacrificed. That altar at the base of which was poured out the blood of the sacrifice. Where where you would see the blood of sacrifice on the Old Testament altar, you now see the souls of the martyrs. Uh, their blood um, having been poured out as, as they have sealed their faith with their blood. Uh, that's the scene set before you in the opening of the fifth seal. In view are the souls of all the martyrs who have died for, for the faith from the time of Christ's ascension to the time of his return on the clouds of glory. These martyrs cry out in verse 10. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. This is a cry for vengeance. Notice, it is the cry of those who have already been slain. It is the cry of the souls in heaven. It is not the cry of the Christian on earth. Though the soul of Stephen in heaven today cries out, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on earth. That was not his cry in his martyrdom. Then he cried, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. In his death, he was conformed to his Savior. You remember the cry of Christ on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. The cry for vengeance comes only from the souls in heaven, not from the, not from those who who still dwell upon the earth. Even in suffering, even in persecution, yes, even in death, the cry of the martyr is that of the cry of, of the martyr's Lord. Father, forgive. Why the cry for vengeance from the souls in heaven then? Because they stand in glory. And their cry is based on the character of God. (coughs) They call him, um, they call him Lord. Um, and here the Lord, the, 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 that we translate, uh, and the Greek word is despot or despote. Uh, and the word uh, from which we, we get the English word des- despot or despotic. <clears throat> so what is, what is a despot? Um, it is one with absolute power 
and authority. It came to um, have, um, mean something negative, like you're very despotic, or there are some despotic dictators. But here, uh, uh, the Lord himself, God himself, Christ himself is called the despot with all power and all authority. Uh, they call him holy and true. God, the all-powerful one with absolute power and authority, is holy and true. And in, in his holiness and truth, he must judge sinners. And this he will do. He, sa- he has said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. For this judgment, the souls um, under the altar cry out. They're crying out for the vindication of God. And you see the Lord's response in verse 11. Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. They're given a white robe and and they're commanded to rest. The white robe is the righteousness of Christ. They have been liberated by Christ. They have been consecrated by Christ. They have been crowned by the Lamb in, in the righteousness of the Lamb. And they rest. Already now, they enjoy the eternal Sabbath rest. That is their condition. And yet, justice is delayed. Their blood has not yet been avenged. Final judgment has not yet been poured upon their enemies, which are also the enemies of Christ. Though they stand clothed in in the righteousness of Christ, and though they already enjoy the Sabbath rest, uh, they anxiously await for the final judgment. Um, And when shall that judgment come? John tells us they should rest a little while longer until both the number of of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. And do you find that phrase disturbing? Do you find it unsettling? What can you expect of the Christian life? Your Lord tells you there are many yet to be killed as these martyrs were killed. And what can you expect, Christian? And this is what we see. Persecution, suffering, torture, even death. You are called fellow servants and brothers of these souls under the altar. Do you get the point? Your blood may may very well run like theirs. Or your blood may very well run with their blood. As disturbing and unsettling as this passage may leave us, it also hints in the most tender of terms at at the comfort that is ours. Comfort in the midst of persecution. Comfort in the midst of suffering. Comfort in the midst of torture and comfort in the midst of death. And note again the place of these souls. They are under the altar. 
This is the altar by which you enter the presence of God. As, as one author has written, approach to God is impossible apart from sacrifice. This is the altar of sacrifice, the altar of the cross. And the blood of the lamb that was sacrificed upon that, upon that cross, cross pours down and it covers those souls under the altar. Yes, dear child of God, you are covered in the blood of the lamb. And let the blood of the lamb, that, that blood which covers you, let that blood speak to you of how precious you are in the sight of your God. Judgment will not come until the number of the martyrs is complete. God knows the number. He knows the number of the elect. He knows the number of his children. He knows every last one of them. And not a hair can fall from their heads apart from his sovereign will. Notice that God measures the time until the judgment, God measures the time until the judgment by the blood of the martyrs. As Dennis Johnson has put it, the days on God's calendar are marked off one by one in the blood of the martyrs. As each martyr dies, the cry of the souls under the altar increases. When Stephen died as the first martyr, it was a lonely cry. But the cry of the apostles soon joined his cry. And the souls of the early Christians soon joined the cry uh, of the apostles. And the cry of the reformers soon joined the cry of the early Christians. And the cries of those who died in the last century has joined the cry of the reformers. Think of it. All the martyrs who have died for the word of God and for the testimony which they held from the time of the ascension of Christ to this very day and and to this very moment are crying out in heaven saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. Do you think that cry falls on deaf ears? Do you think that cry goes unheeded? This is the cry of souls for whom Christ died. This is the cry of souls for whom the Lamb gave his life. This is the cry of those who have been purchased by the blood of the Lamb. This is the cry of those who have been loved by the Lamb with an everlasting love. Do you think their cry falls on deaf ears? How foolish the wicked. How foolish those who persecute Christians. How foolish those who would even put to death the followers of Christ. They stoned Stephen and thought that Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, would remain silent. They threw the Christians to the lions and thought that the lion of the tribe of Judah would remain silent. They burned Christians at the stake and thought that he whose eyes are like flames of fire would remain silent. They thrust Christians through with the sword and and thought that he will that that who. Uh, 
he, he, who would strike the nations with the sword of his mouth would remain silent. How foolish the wicked. Do you think the cry of the souls under the altar falls on deaf ears? Then look at the opening of the sixth seal. There you have the answer. There, in verses 12 to 17, you have the answer to the cry of the martyrs. The day of judgment is the answer to the cry of the souls under the altar. And don't be fooled. It is only a little time until that day. This, then, is, the, is, is what you can expect. This is the life of the church. This is the life of the Christian. You can expect persecution, you can expect suffering, you can expect torture, you can expect even death. It is a most sobering and realistic picture. Now, um, you can think about this. I mean, if this is not what you expected, you have to go back to church history. Look at our history. Look at your history. Church history is your story. Your history. Um, the Bible is full of this. Uh, th- these stories. Um, we, we have to hold to the Word of God. And, and there's a distinction here. A distinction between those who hold to the Word of God and, and, and to the testimony and those who dwell upon the earth. There's a separation between the sheep and the goats. There's a separation between the wheat and the, and the tares. There are those who claim to be, uh, who claim to be Christian and yet do not hold to the word of God. There are those who claim to be Christian and yet, uh, do not hold to the testimony. Um, there are those who claim to be Christian and yet have no regard for the blood of Christ. There are those who claim to be Christian and yet have no regard for the righteousness of Christ. There are those who claim to have faith, but it is not saving faith. Even the demons believe and shudder. What is true faith? True faith clings to Christ. It clings to Christ in persecution. It clings to Christ in suffering. It clings to Christ in death. And in clinging to Christ, it is conformed to Christ. As Christ was accounted as a sheep before the slaughter, and as he was killed, so also the Christian. Paul says, we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. We are killed all the day long. What then is your comfort, Christian, as you face persecution, suffering, even death? And your comfort is this. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord." Your enemies may bring you tribulation. Your enemies may bring you distress. Your enemies may bring you persecution, suffering, famine. Um, They may bring you nakedness. They may bring you peril. They may bring you the sword. 
They may kill you all the day long. They cannot separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, your Lord. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.